Hi, I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the Executive Director of The Hub. Welcome to In Conversation with Amanda Lang. On this program, you'll hear journalist and best-selling author Amanda Lang's analysis of contemporary events, issues, and ideas exclusively for The Hub. In Conversation with Amanda Lang is hosted by The Hub's editor-at-large, Sean Spear. If you're enjoying this program, please visit our website at www.thehub.ca for all kinds of great thinking and insights into the big issues and ideas driving the public conversation. The Hub's podcasts featuring Amanda Lang are generously supported by the Linda Frum and Howard Sokolowski Charitable Foundation. Welcome to Hub Dialogues. I'm your host, Sean Spear, editor-at-large at The Hub. I'm honored to be back in conversation with award-winning journalist and best-selling author Amanda Lang for another installment of our bi-weekly video and podcast series on the key issues concerning Canadian business, economics, and public policy. In today's conversation, we'll discuss the Bank of Canada's latest hike to its benchmark interest rate, taking it to 5% for the first time since nearly the start of the century. In particular, we'll cover the decision itself, as well as some interesting comments from Bank Governor Tiff Macklem about the causes of inflation and how he and the bank are thinking about the ongoing inflation challenge. Amanda, thanks as always for joining us. Always a pleasure. Let's just start big picture. Most analysts anticipated that the bank would once again raise its interest rate, and they were right. The 25 basis point increase is the 10th since April 2021. What's your top line reaction to the announcement? To me, the most important thing in, uh, that we heard was that far from being, you know, even the seventh inning stretch or, uh, you know, the bottom of the ninth, this is actually what this is far from over. I mean, the bank basically said they're extending their forecast for when inflation does get under control. And that six month extension now into mid 2025 <clears throat> says to me, they don't know. Like that's so far out. Uh, there's so many variables. Um, and as we know, uh, when inflation gets uh, kind of intractable, when it gets uh, built into pricing mechanisms, then it really does get beyond control, quote unquote. Um, so that the, the headline on this to me was, uh, you know, the bank's not sure if it's won the fight on inflation, um, you know, and it's that that's a scary prospect. Yeah, we'll come to the adjustment to the bank's projections about when it gets back to 2%. But I want to stay on the subject of uncertainty for a minute, Amanda. One of the best parts of the hub is that we have University of Calgary economist Trevor Tsum writing for us every two weeks. And yesterday, he published an immediate reaction to the rate hike, in which he argued that in light of the considerable uncertainty that you referred to, the rate hike was the least risky option for Macklem and the bank. Trevor put it this way, quote, but if raising rates yesterday was a mistake, it's an easier one to correct. The alternative error, not raising rates when they should have, is worse. The longer inflation stays above the 2% goal, the more entrenched expectations become and the harder it is to fight, unquote. What do you think of that argument, Amanda? Is erring on the side of caution the right position for the bank, given those circumstances? I think it's a solid argument. I think the big risk for this bank and others around the world is always that they have acted too late uh, and that things get beyond their uh, the, the control uh, that achieves a soft landing. I mean, the bank can always get us there if they really need to. But but interestingly, it's I think it's actually worth noting in this context of kind of the I think tacit acknowledgement that they've that the, it's out of their control. They're still not calling for a, a big bad recession. So uh, the central bank is still seemingly confident that it'll achieve that soft landing. That's great. I hope that that's accurate. Um, that is threading a very uh, very small needle. 
So the question, of course, is I, I would agree with Trevor that better to to go too far and cause a recession that might be a little worse than actually to leave us unmoored and uncertain about whether, you know, our wages need to go up 5%, uh, you know, whether we, whether, whether we have no real kind of um, guiding light in terms of where prices will be. That's the danger. We're there. We've been there now for long enough that this is no longer transitory. This is, you know, something that Canadians are now having to factor in. And I guess the bank is realizing that they've let that go too long. Um, and that's showing up in the, in wage demands. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute because, of course, looming over these conversations is things like the ongoing strike at the port of Vancouver, which, of course, is driven in part by inflation and I think somewhat reasonable demands on the part of workers that their wages grow in concert. But on the subject of uncertainty, and, and as you say, I think a pretty remarkable observation on the part of uh, Macklem and the bank that there is this uncertainty kind of looming over their decisions. The bank statement put it this way, quote, the governing council remains concerned that progress towards the 2% target could stall, jeopardizing the return to price stability, unquote. What do you make of that, Amanda? Is this typical central bank conservatism or is there something else going on? I think it probably is in some ways t- typical, um, again, because they're, they're mindful of history, which is that every recession is caused by a central bank um, mistake of some kind or another. Um, I, I would go, I want to actually jump back a little bit to this notion of kind of wage demands, uh, being kind of reasonable in the face of inflation. And I, I think the Port of Vancouver is a good one. I'm not an expert on it. I had not dug into the, the issues, but the headlines, and we saw this too with the public service, um, uh, workers negotiations as well. The headlines suggest that in a period like this, uh, workers take the opportunity to write wages that have been lagging. In other words, they, they're kind of playing catch up. So you see things like 11% and 9%. Um, well, that's not reasonable if all you're looking at is kind of the compounding effect of inflation, uh, which brings me back to, and I hate to be a broken record on this, but it, it just seems to me to be uh, bizarrely antiquated in this day and age that we're not even trying to make sure workers don't fall behind inflation ever at all. And there are mechanisms for that. I mean, every year our, our wages should adjust so that if our, if our businesses had inflationary gains, our wages should have inflationary gains. And we'll all agree that's a zero sum proposition, except that it doesn't make workers, uh, right? Feeding into just the profit of companies, which happens way too often. And for so long when inflation was low, we let it go because it was at the margin, right? It was half a percent here and half a percent there. We, we know now it can be more. And I just don't, I just really feel like we should write that. And at the end of every year, there'd be some kind of reckoning. And if inflation ran ahead of what our wage growth was, um, was guaranteed to be, it'd be adjusted by a cost of living adjustment. Um, so just to say, I, I see headlines like 11% on what are really good salaries for the, for, um, the, the laborers on, in those ports. Um, the average salary there way above the Canadian average. I'm not saying that shouldn't be right. I, again, I have no idea what's reasonable in that market, but that seems like a big gain. And that to me speaks of something else that's broken in our system um, and and we should take a good look at. Yeah, a ton of insight there. I, I would just add another related topic that Macklem focused on in his accompanying press conference yesterday was the ongoing tight labor market. You know, I think he observed that the market is loosening a bit, but one of the challenges bringing down inflation in 2023 that may not have been the same challenge in previous instances of high inflation, of course, is 
aging demographics and what that's doing to labor supply and and labor demand. And so, you know, one wonders, Amanda, if when we look back on this episode in the coming years and decades, that a major part of the story will be the role that tight labor markets have played in making the job of central banks harder than maybe it's ever been before. I think that's probably very, um, very accurate. And I think, you know, as a slow moving issue, one we might have foreseen, I think we might, we may also, of course, have some good analysis on the extent we've talked about this uh, in the past, that other um, slow moving changes like um, the green transition are, are just kind of inherently inflationary. These new technologies are inflationary. The fiscal um, supports for them are inflationary. And so we are in kind of this era where uh, we're, we're, things are happening that we, um, you know, we agree must happen, but we should acknowledge, which gets us back to a conversation we've had, which is, is 2% the right target? Are we a little dogmatic about the range that we set um, at another time and place in history? And should we have some flexibility on that? It's the last thing the bank wants to say based on what they were saying yesterday. They remain very committed to the target and and basically rebuilding the confidence of Canadians that they can get us there. Um, so they probably aren't going to put out research papers that 4% would be fine. But uh, it does make me wonder longer term whether we might not relax into a higher level of inflation. Hi, Hub Podcast listeners. Rudyard Griffiths here, the executive director of The Hub. I wanted to ask for your support today. No, I'm not asking for money. I'm asking for your attention. If you could check out right now in our podcast feed a new series that we're dropping. It's six episodes in partnership with a group called Pathways Alliance. This is the Canadian Industry Association that's tasked with the big, ambitious project of decarbonizing Canada's oil sands. They want to achieve net zero by 2050, and we want to have a conversation with them and you about how to achieve this ambitious goal. Pathways is the hub's first national media and advertising partner. Their support helps us make all these other great podcasts. So if you're enjoying them, please listen to these episodes with Pathways. Give us your feedback. We'd love your input, but also share them with friends and family. That would be greatly appreciated. Well, with that advertisement over, let's go back to our regular programming. Yeah, one of those broader trends, including tight labor markets and energy transition and so on, that is influencing the economic environment is the subject of population growth. I was struck, Amanda, that in the bank statement in Macklem's press conference that this issue was highlighted and in particular immigration as a source of inflation, particularly on the demand side of the housing market. It struck me a bit like a foray into government policy for the bank. Do you think I'm overreading things or did you observe the same thing? And if so, how did you interpret it? I certainly uh, made note of it. It's interesting. Uh, it's a, it is a factor that the bank has to consider. I don't know that. They, I think they walked a pretty careful line about not suggesting a policy response, um, but acknowledging that it is a factor I think is important. Could it be picked up by others and used uh, politically? Perhaps. Um, but I do think that's the kind of sort of reasoned, um, thoughtful analysis we need around uh, things like inflation or, uh, you know, subsidies for green transition. Uh, They are what they are. Uh, We don't need to be partisan about our response to them, but they have implications for monetary policy. um, And then by extension, of course, uh, taxation, fiscal policy. So I think it to me, it was really interesting. I mean, I also did think it was um, they kind of basically said that there's a it's net neutral 
ultimately. So um, there is, a, I think, a more of a short-term effect. No question. We all know the, the implications for housing. And in fact, you know, as a bit of a aside, but the refugee crisis, in, and I'm going to say crisis uh, in this country, is, you know, where we have, you know, welcome people to shelter here um, and then literally can't shelter them is something that should be an emergency at every level. And it's being kind of foisted onto the cities to deal with in a way that I think is um, is a bit harmful to, to all involved, not least the human beings who are camping out on downtown streets waiting to find out what their status is. So uh, that's that's part of the immigration puzzle. Uh, but I would just say this like federal policy does have implications that that sort of echo down through every level of government. And it's good to take a look at how they how that echo sounds. Yeah. Let's stay on housing. The bank's deputy governor, Carolyn Rogers, seemed to dismiss the idea that the bank was sensitive to the effects of rate heights on housing costs. She said, quote, we target inflation. We don't target house prices, unquote. Amanda, of course, I understand the point, but I also know Macklem a bit and I know he's not insensitive to politics. Why don't you talk a bit about housing here and the implications of these ongoing rate hikes? So the bank and I think Macklem et al. Were, are, are quite um, sensitive to the fact that these are not moves that come without pain. I mean, they're very aware. And actually, Macklem's been, to me, refreshingly, um, disarmingly honest about the fact that there will be you know, job losses. And he kind of I think he's even sort of used terminology like he needs to see that um, they're looking for layoffs. Um, that's not that ain't a, a political voice talking. That's a that's a technocrat. Um, on the housing front, I mean, I think uh, it, it, it kind of brings us back to this really interesting position that a bank finds itself in. And I would say, uh, again, let's remind ourselves as Canadians how fortunate we are that there is not political interference in our central bank um, and that it uh, it uh, does operate independently. And and despite some ridiculous murmurings, I think we'll continue to do so. Um, at least Canadians should hope that it continues to do so. But it doesn't do it in a vacuum. Um, and so you can certainly imagine the central banker um, sitting, you know, the the team of them sitting around and saying, wow, it would be great <laughs> if uh, policymakers at every level of government solved our housing crisis. Um, we, we know the numbers. We know we need three and a half uh, million new homes just to get to neutrality. Uh, and we could solve that. That's not an insurmountable problem. We, you know, people put men on the moon. We can certainly build some houses. Um, and yet they, of course, can't solve that. That's not their purview. Uh, what they can do is make mortgages more expensive, which only hurts the people already in the home. You know, it's this terrible situation where the one lever they have um, is really painful for people and often people who can least afford it. So I do wish that other levels of government would focus on the things that they can do um, and help the bank out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I think that's precisely right. The need for housing supplies is a subject that we've talked about on this show. And of course, the hub is covered extensively over the past few years. And well, there seems to be at some level political acknowledgement of the problem that the data tell us that we're not making the kind of progress that we need to make. In fact, recent data suggests it's moving in the opposite direction, which is which is striking and you know, strikes me as political malfeasance, especially since, I mean, I want to put this to you. You mentioned earlier the revision to projections that we won't get back to something approaching 2% until middle of 2025. I can't help but note that it's possible we have an, a federal election campaign in 2025. We also had a lot of people, including me, incidentally, take out five-year fixed mortgages in 2020. And so we could have this extraordinary 
scenario where a bunch of people, there's suddenly this a massive wave of mortgage renewals at higher rates as we approach a, a federal election campaign. And I want to ask you to speculate on the political consequences, but why don't you just talk a bit about economic and social implications of rising mortgage rates and what it what it will mean for households? Yeah, I mean, it's an it's interesting to kind of try to game that out because it could go um, one of several ways, uh, right? The bank could be wrong and we could see a very severe recession, uh, in which case, of course, we might get, it would be interesting, wow, I hope we don't actually see this play out in real time because it would be painful, but it would be interesting to see what would happen to this particular housing market in the event of a se- severe recession because supply is supply, right? And demand um, is in some ways, it's, it is elastic. But when you think about what's happening, you know, you'd have to see a rental market collapse. Uh, you would have to see a kind of a change in the makeup of households, I think, right? We'd have to see more people um, living together than they are now because we just don't have enough. So maybe the housing market really is protected until, again, until we build more homes. Um, so is there a terrible recession? Uh, in which case, by 2025, rates are coming down or they've at least been brought down. So you're resetting at a better level regardless. Or there's a scenario where I think this is what the bank hopes. They engineer this soft landing, uh, just enough layoffs, just enough housing market weakness, all the Goldilocks. And then uh, rates are also maybe coming down a little bit. They're stable or lower when you're resetting. The scenario in which you're resetting in five years and rates are going higher uh, seems very unlikely to me at this point. I mean, it feels as though we're at kind of a, a high water mark-ish our high water mark is only slightly above historical averages, so it's not super high. Uh, but let's say we we head back down to more like four or three seven five, then you're resetting slightly lower, but you're not getting a big break on it in that scenario. And frankly, I hope that's the scenario because that means we haven't had a doomsday recession. Things are actually okay, and we've managed to normalize our, our rates and and avoid a Japanification of our economy, which should be a very healthy thing. Yeah, what a great kind of laying out of the different scenarios and their implications. And let me just pick up that final point you made before we wrap up, because if we can get back to something resembling a normal interest rate environment, it'll have implications across the economy, including for public finances. Just before we started speaking this morning, Amanda, I spoke to a professor at Cambridge University about fiscal policy across the Anglosphere and the extent to which the historically unprecedented period of low interest rates has influenced fiscal policy in Canada and the UK and elsewhere. And one gets the sense, Amanda, that markets, that credit rating agencies and others are starting to ask tougher questions of governments about their public finances that they have in a long time. And the extent to which that imposes some constraints on government spending or even depending on how one thinks about these things, more sober questions about how much revenue we want to bring in and how much we want to spend so that we don't continue down this path of basically giving people 75 cents of or buck 25, I guess, rather of government than they're prepared to actually pay. I think that would be healthy for our politics, healthy for our public policy, and ultimately healthy for our economy. How would you respond to that? I think everything is connected. And I think um, that that is happening is inevitable, uh, that it will get worse is inevitable. And let me say, when I say everything's connected, we've had the hottest day um, in recorded history on planet Earth. Uh, we've talked before that insurance companies are rethinking their role in, um, in uh, underwriting the risk globally. And that's just a fact. And that spills down, by the way, to that's not just you can't get flood insurance because you're in a floodplain. 
that same insurance company will no longer insure a business that it recently did only because the risk is marginal, All right, right? They're just rethinking everything. Um, how is that relevant? Well, that's relevant because now we're all self-insured, including governments, which means there have to be pools of capital available for the growing number of disasters that await us. Uh, and therefore, yeah, if you are holding a, a Canada bond, you're going to start asking because it isn't just this smooth sailing trajectory that other governments in the past have had to deal with. And boy, I hope the folks that are leading us and the people in finance that are making these plans are actually gaming that out. Uh, there will be less to work with. We will have to be spending on things we didn't allot for. We wish we didn't have to spend on, whether it's adaption or mitigation. And uh, that does change the game entirely. So will, will they think ahead? Uh, it's not the nature of politics, unfortunately, but there are very, very smart people inside. Of, I always cling to this notion that there are very smart people inside finance and inside our other government departments. Our bureaucracy is good uh, and they will be thinking about these and hopefully it'll feed its way through. But um, boy, there's some big issues ahead and it will play out for us as citizens in terms of what we get from our government and what we'll have to spend on it. Well, this is precisely why I like speaking to you every couple of weeks. It's full of big issues and big ideas. Amanda, I want to thank you for joining me, and I look forward to catching up in a couple of weeks. Good to talk. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Hub Dialogues, brought to you by The Hub, Canada's leading source for analysis and insights on public policy. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. Please share your favorite Hub podcast with friends and family and subscribe wherever you get your audio online. We also appreciate your ratings and reviews. Go to our website, www.thehub.ca. I'm the Hub's Executive Director, Rudyard Griffiths. The host of today's program was Sean Spear, the Hub's Editor-at-Large. This episode was produced by Amal Atar Guzman. The Hub's audio producers are Alex Glutch and David Matta. The Hub podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granovsky Gluskin Charitable Foundation and the Linda Frum and Howard Sokolowski Charitable Foundation. Thanks for listening.